This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here? You're showing me, man. Right, well, we still have a second semi finals to look forward to tonight, but I think we're still reading from events in Belo Horizonte. Kerry was there, describes it as the most incredible result in the history of the World Cup. It's probably the most incredible result in the history of football, really. We'll be over to him shortly. The whole of Brazil is looking for their scapegoat and early indications last night were that poor Fred might get the nod to play the Barbosa role for the rest mm. of his life there, Murph. But I think this is a collective one. The shame of Brazil was actually brought about, in my eyes, by all 11 of the little mascots who stand in front of the what players. What were they thinking? What the hell were they Did doing? Did you see this, right? Kids, you, you know, kid, the great thing about kids, Murph, is they have a great way of cutting through the bullshit in life, mm. you know? They, they see the truth of the matter and they ask the right questions and they... They have the finger on the pulse in a way that adults just forget to do mm, over mm. the years. So as the players during the anthem ridiculously held a jersey of Neymar and shouted themselves onto another plane of consciousness, it was on the kids to just step up, ask them, lads, what, what good is possibly coming of wasting so much emotional energy and somebody you can't help you now? But instead, the kids went even crazier than the players. They were yeah. belting out that anthem. They just blamed They the lost control. <laughs> Those four-year-olds lost control on... And as a result, I mean, their nation reaped what those kids sowed. I, those kids are going to have a tough life, Murph. Well, I don't think that they can ever live it down, if, <laughs> quite frankly. If their shame is highlighted in proper videos. Seriously, though, the Neymar stuff bothered me before the game. I just, and I know it's easy to be wise after the event, but just looking at it going, why are they wearing Neymar caps and why are they holding up a Neymar jersey? This guy's not, what's Thiago, Mata do, uh, Thiago Silva doing? Yeah. Warming the guys up. Like, get out of here. You guys aren't involved. We're here to play a match now. Yeah, Diego Silva, you let your teammates down. Have the shame to get the hell out of there, yeah, right? It's funny. Like, and I don't. There's no point in overriding it because there's a, there was a million and one things wrong with Brazil yeah, and yeah, everything yeah. around. This the is one night. of them, though. But 
the Neymar, he's back playing in six weeks' time. I mean, it's not even that he's out for a year or a year and a half or his career is in danger. Or, to be honest, he's dead because that's what it looked like at the start of the, of the match. It looked like he had died and that this, was, this game was a memorial to Neymar's life. That's what, that's what it looked like at the start of the game. He's back playing in, in four weeks' time, they were saying. Four to six weeks is the recovery time for this injury. He's missing. He's a big player. I mean... Have some self-respect, other Brazilian players, and remember, say it's a, he's only one player. Can you remember your reaction as the fifth goal went in? That was the one that that was the one that did it for me. The sixth and seventh ones were just <clears> almost <throat> left me numb. But the the fifth, the fifth goal, I stared at my phone and said, "Who can I call about this? What should I should I send should I send a tweet? Should I update my f- Facebook? I I don't know. I, I what what am I what am I supposed to do now? I have a WhatsApp group of a group of friends and." The, by the time the fifth goal went in, my my phone was just like about to explode, and I was just looking at it. And I I don't know, I don't know what to say. I don't. I have nothing to say. This is the most outrageous thing I've ever seen. My girlfriend, Murph, as you know, Rebecca's mm. her name. I mean, you know yeah. her. Yeah, I know her. Yeah. <laughs> so I, oh, I know all about her. Own. I, I can reveal her name. She works uh, very early mornings. Yeah. So she was in bed, right? I presume she heard me shouting at 1-0, at 2-0, at 3-0. At 4-0, I had to go up and drag her down. I said, this is too nuts. So she came, She was quite shocked just by my frantic... Yeah. I think she thought something was deeply wrong, to be yeah. honest. And uh, she did not realising simply the soul of Brazilian football was dead mm. forever. But then she was there for the fifth goal, so at least I got to share that yeah. uh, with another human being. I know, because... WhatsApp just wasn't doing it for me. Yeah, I know. It's, it's bizarre. While we're revealing stuff, I mean, you know, it's my girlfriend actually speaks German, so... Jill is her yeah. name again. We so, can name these people. She was like mad up for Germany. But even by the end of the by by the time the fifth goal went in, she was saying, oh, "You'd have to feel sorry for these poor Brazilians, wouldn't you?" <laughs> it's like, well, not really. I mean, they're just terrible. They're absolutely terrible. So I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a strange one. I mean, it it, it sometimes you know you'd actually just have to step away from the whole sporting sphere and see this is a ridiculous story by any <laughs> by any metric. For this to happen to Brazil, of all countries, is just bizarre. Let's get Crazy. over to our man on the ground. Yeah, you can laugh. That was the World Cup. Ken Ernie, what was your atmosphere as the fe- your uh, reaction as the fifth goal went in? Just boggle-eyed astonishment. You know, you're just staring down at this... I can't process what's happening. It's too big to process. It's just the most insane thing that I've ever, ever seen on a on a football field. I've never, ever seen the like of this. To go from what happened, the scenes at the at the kickoff, this frenzy of the stadium, to five nil down after twenty nine minutes <laughs> was just not something that I. I mean, nobody. I don't think will ever forget. You know, seeing this, seeing this thing. I mean, it's, it's this is the, I mean, it's it's the craziest result that's ever happened in the history of the World Cup. Not necessarily the craziest game. We've seen games a little bit like that before. I mean, just in the Premier League season, just gone. There was you know Chelsea against Arsenal. Sure, there was in that game too. There was you know Liverpool against Arsenal. Okay, there was a couple of games involving Arsenal. But the point is, these were these were not the World Cup semi final in Brazil. With Brazil on the receiving end of all these goals, it was just the craziest thing anyone has ever seen in in football in football terms. And I, I don't dispute that maybe something crazier has happened in another sphere of, of human activity at some point in history. That may well have happened. 
it probably has. Human history goes back a long way. In football terms, though, this was the craziest thing of all time. I mean, you were in the stadium, you were looking at these Brazilian players, and just going by your Twitter feed, you were stunned before the game, the ferocity, even by the standards of the Brazilian matches so far, of the national anthem and how the players sang that. I can only imagine what it was like to witness the, such a switch from that kind of emotional pitch to just absolute despair and derision. Well, I mean, you know, we can talk a, talk a bit about the crowd. I, talk, I talked with, uh, with Tom Hennigan about the crowd, and we'll, we'll hear a little yeah, bit yeah. of that, but the, the way that they sang the anthem was just, you know, usually um, you can hear, you know, you know the way a football crowd sings, you can usually hear the notes of the melody. You know, even if you sing it really loud, you can kind of pick out the tune that they're singing. It literally was not the case uh, last night. It was, everyone was just shouting so loud that they, that they weren't able to sing. You know, they were just shouting the words. That was the kind of, uh, that was the level to which it had got last night. And, you know, you were talking about this Neymar stuff. I mean, it's the craziest... What were they thinking? Who was who was in charge of that? Who set that Neymar strategy? It's it's it was so embarrassing. It was it was nonsense. I mean, the idea that a team would be doing it for a player who was injured this is completely insane. The Germans are looking across at this and thinking these guys are their heads have completely gone. I don't know if any of them thought of Marco Royce. Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> Holding up a Marco home. Royce now, jersey. Of course, they, they weren't thinking of, of Marco Royce. You know, it's, you know, he was he's been the best player in Germany this season. He has he almost even plays in the same kind of position as Neymar. Frank's and I haven't heard his a, name mentioned. France holding up a, Fra- a Frank Ribery jersey before their quarterfinal against Germany, for instance. It's crazy. I mean, it's exactly as you said. You would have thought he was dead. There was somebody in the stadium with a placard, don't worry, exclamation mark, Neymar's soul is with us. This is, this is written in English. Neymar's soul. Neymar's in Sao Paulo. Hopefully his, <laughs> his soul is, is, you know, still, you know, contiguous with his, with his physical body. Unless I've missed something big on the news. I'm kind of looking at Twitter, you know, has there been a... Um, you know, some kind of a disaster involving Neymar because I, I really don't understand where, where this is all coming from. Thiago Silva, as you said, you know, out there freaking out his teammates. I mean, every, like, he, he wouldn't shut up. I've never seen a guy who's wired. You know, and they're just doing their sort of warm-up runs and, and their little stretches and stuff. And Thiago Silva's in all their ears, presumably telling them, this is a really important match. Uh, you need to, you know, please try to play as well as you can so that we can get to the final and make all these people happy. You're going, yeah, I know, I know, that's what we're here to do. It was just, and then it was, it was like, what happened was that the gap between reality and this f- collective fantasy just suddenly became so horribly apparent to everyone at the same instant, more or less maybe of the first goal, but definitely by the time that second goal went in, it was just this big, oh no, Brazil suddenly confronted with the enormity of its own bullshit. (laughs) You know, and and everybody, the, the team completely shattered into a billion pieces. The Germans were just cutting through this. I mean, it was like kicking sand out of the way, these Brazilian players. There was, I, they, I've never seen a team reduced to such utter paralysis and powerlessness as Brazil were in those few minutes. I mean, there was just so many mistakes and they were up against a team that was so in the zone. I mean, I've been one of these doubting Thomas's zone who's been mm, wondering whether Germany, when he gets right down to it, do Germany really have the balls? Well, 
Turns out, yes, they really do. And maybe, maybe in a in a way that it, 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 there was a kind of a judo about it. You know, the way that the Germans were just so calm. They they were kind of like, well, okay, well, you know, we're, we're going to wait and kick off. You know, all this stuff about um, the soul of Neymar and the heart of Thiago Silva being on the pitch, and you know, 199 million fans uh, on the pitch as well. Actually, this is just 11 against 11. And uh, when we look at the 11 guys you've got on the, on the field, uh, a few of them don't really look uh, all that, that, uh, yeah. that dangerous. Though. This is the point that I was trying to articulate yesterday when we were speaking, um, when we were talking about the cautious approach of teams as the tournament progresses. And I always find it strange that there's uh, an assumption that, well, of course, the stakes are so high that both teams are going to be defensive. Sometimes the logical thing to do is... Not to, not to be like that. And there was a logic in what Germany did yesterday. It wasn't just, it was by no means kamikaze football. They obviously sensed before they knew, well before the game, mm. this is going to be our way to get it done. Yeah, we have uh, Thomas Muller out there and right beside him there is Marcelo. So let's give Thomas Muller the ball and let him make Marcelo look like one of the worst footballers on the planet. Well, Marcelo was really bad for Brazil, although it's difficult to know who was the worst player. I mean, David Luiz was, was poor. Uh, Dante was obviously poor. Fernandinho was abysmal. I mean, really abysmal. I mean, the, the side of Fernandinho just losing tackle after tackle on, on Tony Kroos. You know, Tony Kroos, um, for one of the goals, I think his second goal, stole the ball from, from Fernandinho, just overran Fernandinho in field. But there had previously been, it was the closer goal, where Fernandinho twice tried to tackle Kroos. Now, usually Fernandinho, I'm backing him to win, a, to win one out of two tackles. And he's just sort of, it was like a fly against a, 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 a window. You know what I mean? He was just bouncing off, off Kroos. He's able to just hold him off and then do what Kroos does, has been doing so brilliantly in the tournament. He, he goes to, I don't know even if, no, if he's trying to shoot, but he always manages to fool the defenders with the, uh, unexpected softness of the pass into the penalty area. He plays this, he, he almost does a big sort of, um, you know, backlift. And then the pass is just a little dink through the defense. And then what you had was Muller coming from the right, Closer coming from the left, and Brazil with absolutely no idea what was happening or who to cover, such that Closer has time to take two shots. The first shot is saved, and Brazil still can't get close enough to him to, to, to make any kind of effort to interfere with the second shot, which he's able to just side foot in. The movement of the German team was phenomenal to witness. I mean, they, this, they were the worst possible opponent, I guess, for Brazil to come up against when they're in that nervous state, when everything is going wrong, when everybody is, has become an individual and they've completely forgotten about the bonds that are supposed to unite them as a team. To have this team which is playing almost telepathically and it's not telepathy. I mean, the German team doesn't have magical powers. It's just a kind of a, a really a deep familiarity um, with each other's movement, a sense of, okay, we know the kind of, the kind of moves that we make, the kind of runs that we make to exploit certain situations. If the ball is here, you know, Thomas is going to go here, uh, Miroslav is going to go here, and we, we kind of understand what's going to happen before it happens. And that's how you get this impression of the Germans always being one or two steps ahead. I mean, it was like this... You know, I mean, I, I, this remorseless, <laughs> which is one of those kind of words that always gets used about Germany when they play well. But it really did have that, that sort of quality. It was like, here's a puzzle that we know how to solve. You can't actually, you just can't stop us. Um, there's, there's been one mistake, and we can see three steps ahead exactly how we're going to pass our way through this defense, and there's nothing that you can do about it. And they did that repeatedly in that in that six-minute spell, four goals. Honestly, 
you've never you've never seen anything. I don't think any other team in the World Cup would have been able to execute in that way. I mean, I think maybe there are a few teams who, who would have had a bit of joy against Brazil in that state, but I don't think there's an, another team that would have been able to expose them as um, as thoroughly as Germany did. Well, Gabriele Mercati joins us now. Gabriele, have you seen a, ever seen a crazier game than that in your life? Um, I was in Istanbul, uh, so you know you you can go and debate whether that was more um, improbable. Uh, I, I think what struck you was how quickly um, how quickly it all transpired, obviously, and and I think you're kind of reminded that um, you know this is a very low scoring game, um, and so you know. If we get a lot of goals quickly, it, it's just so profoundly unsettling. But, you know, if you were a statistician and analytics nerd of some kind, you know, you could look at this and say, well, gee, you know, Brazil have played X number of games. It's uh, It was bound to happen at, at, at some point. Um, and then, you know, after after I think after the second or third goal, you know, then you've got this mental collapse, which, which inevitably goes with it. One thing that struck me about it, Gabriele, and, just watching it back again immediately afterwards was even Brazil's cynical play was totally stupid and illogical. They were looking for penalties. They were, well, they, I suppose they could have got them if the referee had been as soft as some of the other referees. But what if they really wanted to be cynical and clever, I would have thought maybe one of them could fake an injury and just take a little time out there at some stage during the five-goal barrage. Yeah, it's it, it's a good point. I mean, I think, um, you know, the just to break the rhythm, break the flow at that point. You know, Scolari said afterwards that, uh, you know, the, he was on the sidelines. He was desperately trying to get messages through to his players, but the goals just came so quickly, so one after the other, um, that he couldn't get it across. Something like that might have worked. I, I, I just think, you know, you don't know how to react in those situations um, because you're, you're almost never in them. Um, you know, Yogi Love as well said that, you know, this was pretty much uncharted territory for him. You know, how do you play the rest of the game when you're five and all up after, after half an hour, you know? Um, so I, I just think, you know, last night we, we sort of, uh, we took a trip to, uh, to a very unusual place, uh, in football, maybe one that we didn't think existed. Yeah, I think I think I heard you asking Yogi Love about that, um, last night, Gabriela, in terms of how, how do you actually deal with this bizarre situation being 5-0 up against um, Brazil? And he made the point that, well, actually, you know, if you think back, we've, we've been 4-1 up against England, we're 4-0 up against Argentina. You know, we've wiped the floor with a lot of um, football supposed superpowers. Is this the, the match last night which confirmed beyond doubt um, that what Germany have been doing over the last uh, 10 years, that, that their, their thoroughgoing reform of their football system is something which has has really paid off that this is the way to do it, that a 7-1 defeat of Brazil in Brazil simply brooks no argument anymore. This German team is, is absolutely the, the real deal. Well, it's funny when you say, you know, is this the way to do it? Um, you mean being the uh, biggest economic power in the footballing world, no disrespect to Japan and the U.S. or China, uh, having 80 million people being something like 30% bigger than all your peers in Europe being wealthier, um, having you know nearly a hundred years of of unparalleled uh, uh, or close to unparalleled know-how uh, in Europe, um, yeah, it, it obviously helps. 
But, you know, I, I don't believe in this, you know, one model thing. Um, it works for them. And you know what? It works for them to a point. Because this is a country that's going to a World Cup with, with Benny Ovedis playing, playing left back. You know, this is a country that, that played a 36-year-old up front. A country that doesn't have any other viable center forwards. Uh, um, or unless you believe in Stefan Kiesling. Um, so, you know, it, it's not a fail-safe system. I, I just think we have to have an appreciation for the fact that, um, that there is a, a very good uh, knot of players who have come through, who are roughly um, the, the same generation, and, uh, and he's done a very good job in, in mixing those guys with some of the younger ones, and, uh, and, and they have a good coach, and they've been together for a while, and all these things, I think, will get you close. But, you know, let's not forget, this team could have lost to Algeria as well. And then, you know, we'd be chucking the German model out the window and embracing a different one. Yeah, I, t- I take the point there that sometimes it'd be... But all, equally, I think maybe people were too quick to judge that model negatively after they lost the semifinals to Italy in Euro 2012. Sometimes you lose big matches and that's what happened. But you said they're getting close, Gabriel. It's not even close. I mean, this is it. This is it. This is everyone's dream. You go away to Brazil in the World Cup semifinal and you score seven goals. That's football perfection, surely. Yeah. Yes and no, um, in the sense that you know Germany are the best team in this World Cup, and and, and they'll be deserving winners if if, if they do win it. But um, that match was just so bizarre. That I don't know that that you've learned anything from it. That that you can um, that you can draw any conclusions. Um, you know, because you're talking about a goal and a set piece after ten minutes, and then and then you know Fernandinho. And, and, and the others losing their head uh, defensively. And, and it just all happened so quickly. I mean, I, I don't, you know, again, speaking to some German colleagues yesterday, you know, this wasn't by design. Um, you know, this was, uh, this was Brazil sort of driving off the cliff, um, I, I think. And, you know, no disrespect to Germany, they took their goals, they took their chances. But, you know, this was a game that, you know, Brazil sort of, they undid themselves, I, I think. I think, though, <clears throat> that, Gabriel, the, the thing that's going to happen here, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch what happens over the next few days in this, this inquest that's going to happen into, into this disaster for Brazil and Brazilian football, um, is that the football team, which is the pride and joy of Brazil, you know, the, the world-class thing about Brazil that everybody around the world knows and that Brazilians take such pride in has been leveled, humiliated, destroyed. That it's that what happened last night was an indictment of more than just the team, the 11 players that were on the field, but of the entire um, chaotic and corrupt system of Brazilian football, which is a, it, which, I mean, it may be the, the team that they're up against. I know that you, you make the point that, that Germany has, has economic advantages um, over most uh, countries, you know, has organizational advantages, which, which everybody knows about. And maybe they were the, the, the team that were, were best positioned to, to provide a contrast to what the Brazilian football system has become. I mean, a country which has always relied on its ability to produce um, world-class footballers, almost the way that, that it produces mangoes, um, is suddenly left in a situation where it's got Fred as centre forward. It's got a team that doesn't really understand how it's, how it's got to play. It's been cobbled together at the last minute by a coach who lost interest in tactics 10 years ago. And um, with this sort of 
praying that it's going to be all right on the night. And suddenly and mercilessly, that's all been horribly exposed in a way which now, you know, it, it, what, what I'm saying is that this, this football team, the greatest thing, I mean, the thing that everybody identifies with Brazil around the world is now another corrupt Brazilian institution, another way in which Brazilians are being uh, shortchanged uh, by their government, by the systems in this country, that it sort of stands accused in the dark beside the police and the bus system and everything else that people have been complaining about uh, in this country, that, that football is now in the same dock. All right, wow. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of <laughs> there you go, Gabriel. So, uh, first, first and foremost, I, I, I agree with you. It, it is a massive body blow because, because Brazil is just so identified you know, with football. Um, and and and, and it, it is a blow to the national psyche. You know, one of Brazil's greatest playwrights uh, uh, described uh, the Maracanã in 1950 um, as uh, as Brazil's Hiroshima. You know, you know, this is a country that has never fought a war. Um, I, I don't know what uh, dubious analogies will be drawn here, but um, you know, you presume they're going to be along the same lines, if not greater. Um, that said. Like, first of all, Brazil was producing more footballers than anybody else in the past when the system was, was more corrupt and more dysfunctional, um, when there was more social inequality, more crime, um, you know, more corruption. So, you know, we need to bear that in mind. I don't necessarily know that, you know, those things will stop you from producing good footballers. Um Secondly, in, in defense of Scolari, tiny bit, this wasn't a team that was cobbled together at the last minute. The starting 11 in the first game of the World Cup was the same as a starting 11 that had won the Confederations Cup uh, a year ago. Um, and Scolari also had the humility, if you will, some might say uh, it was imposed upon him to bring as an assistant Carlos Alberto Pereira, who of course, represents a totally different um, school of thought, a different interpretation of football. Um, so, you know, it, it, that said, in some ways it makes it worse because you almost have, you know, sort of an, an all-star team of, uh, of managers and, and, and you still come up short. Um, all that said, yeah, right now, you know, there are problems, there are issues, but, you know, the country's also, the country's also changing. You know, 35 million people have come out of poverty in, 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 the, last, uh, in the last decade. Um, Brazilian club football is actually enjoying a little bit of a resurgence in part because of these social changes. Uh, the old idea where, you know, you had uh, uh, this enormous pool of kids from the favelas who would go and play for the amusement of, of wealthy owners, you know, that model's gone. Um, something's going to replace it, and, and we live in a globalized world, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of different influences. Um, but you know, they, they need to adapt and change with that. But I, I just feel a little bit uncomfortable when we go and talk about a Brazilian football system when, you know, it's, it's a country of, of 190 million people, 200 million people. There is a tremendous amount of variety in styles um, and approaches that, that go well beyond, you know, some of the European stereotypes, as you know, Ken. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is a massive blow. I, I don't know that, you know, it means that, Everything's, you know, everything's shot to pieces now. All right, who are they going to be playing in the final? Who do you think Germany, who do you think is going to win between Holland and Argentina tonight, Kevin? <sighs> so conflicted about this. I, I don't know, is it going to be the team with the outstanding player and the rather dubious coach, or is it going to be the, the team with the uh, outstanding coach and 
the many, many dubious players. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm leaning towards Argentina just because I think they have better players and ultimately better players produce. And I think Van Hal's done it with smoke and mirrors. You know, there's at least four or five players on this Holland squad who, who really are, are really, really substandard. Um, so, you know, you, you put those things together. I, I was asking myself, this is a game people can play at home. Um, think of a, a, a Premier League manager who, uh, who you don't think is very good. Um, I, I chose to do mine with Malky Mackay. You might choose somebody else. But if Malky Mackay were in charge of this Holland team in the Premier League, where would they finish? And um, I, I think they'd get relegated. So, I'm sorry, your line is breaking small, but you, you think they would get relegated? Well, Robin at Van Persie. I think they, they would struggle to avoid relegation, yeah. With Sillison and, and, and those guys at the back, Martin Zindi, are you kidding me? For Jaja? Come on. So we're saying Argentina to win, I think. Gabriele, listen, great to talk to you. Thank you. My pleasure. Wow, spectacular by Gabriele. A team, Murph, you, you've, you, team, lo- you look like you have something to say about this. A team that beats Spain 5-1 with a different manager would get relegated from the <laughs> Premier League. I suppose they wouldn't beat Spain with a different manager 5-1. I, I don't yeah, know, but it seems like a little bit of a stretch to me. Well, I certainly think Gabriele rates Louis van Gaal slightly higher than he rates Malky Mackay there. Anyway, mm. it's fair to say. But Ken, t- just the point there, this is a debate that's being had about how much credit you give Germany as, as opposed to how much shame you want to heap upon Brazil, uh, d- depending on what side of that debate you fall on, I think you know if, if you think that it's all about Brazil imploding, maybe you're you're not seeing it as a great World Cup moment. I mean, am I missing? Eamon Dunphy was talking on TV last night. You want to see it about football dying around the world? I'm not quite sure where he came up with that. But others have said, "Oh, how can it be a great World Cup if the host nation and supposedly one of the top teams can implode like this?" But is that not what makes it amazing? This is such a stunning moment, and we watch World Cups ideally to have moments like this we can talk about in four years in eight years in 12 years and this moment we'll be talking about until we die yeah uh, absolutely this is do, do, I, I doubt I will live to see anything like that ever again and that's why I think um, even though it's, it's just one game and even though there's obviously a freakish element to any game which, which pans out like that you have to take account of this as a significant and meaningful moment this is not just any random defeat this is not just i mean scolari was was saying last night things more or less like well you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. you know there's some there's some damn fine players in that squad who'll still be there in 2018 how it's not as though everything we're doing is wrong that's wrong everything you're doing is wrong you lose 7-1 in the world cup semi-final you've got to you've got to accept okay this is a significant turning point this is the moment at which we have to think how how can this possibly have happened to us Something needs to something needs to change here. Germany did that. Germany did that 12, 13 years ago. Germany lost to, for them, the the, the equivalent of, of losing seven one in the World Cup semi final at home was losing uh, two out of three group matches in Euro two thousand. And they thought, well, hang on a second, this is this is totally unacceptable. How 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 have we got to the point, a great football country uh, with our history, that we are represented by such a bad team? This isn't good enough. We have to change everything. So they sat down, they came up with a plan. It's a very German approach to solving a problem. Uh, but it turns out, you know, we, we, look, at, we look at Germany uh, in many spheres of activity down the years and we see that when they get together and, uh, you know, put a plan together, uh, oftentimes, 
<laughs> oftentimes they get results. Maybe, I mean, it's, it's difficult to see how that could happen in a country as huge and chaotic as Brazil. I mean, in Germany, the DFB could sit down, you know, with a group of consultants, draw up a plan, and then announce uh, something that was going to be imposed on all of the clubs in the first and second division. Immediately, they had to go along with it. They all had to introduce these youth academies. The academies all had to be standardized. They all had to expose the young players to the same type of conditions. They had to teach them the same type of things. They had to equip them with the kind of the mental uh, tools that you saw in action last night dismantling Brazil. I mean, that movement of these front players where they, you know, they barely, they don't even need to look at each other to understand what they're going to do. That's the level to which Germany have been able to take international football. It's a level of organization beyond what is possible to get to the way that Brazil have doing, the way that Brazil are doing it, which is to say, we're a gigantic country that produces amazing footballers. Because Brazil is, is, a, is a little bit like, you know the way Germany has the most registered footballers of any country in Europe? You know, it's, it's something like uh, six and a half or seven million registered football players. A gigantic football playing population. Everybody, you know, it's, it's, it's the main sport there. It's the only sport they care about really uh, in Germany. You know, they don't play rugby, Gaelic football, any, they don't waste any athletic talent down any of those other avenues. It's all about football. So, you know, you've got a football pyramid that size. It's going to produce at the apex some pretty tasty players. Now, Brazil has the same situation because you go around this country and people are playing football everywhere. You know, that sort of cliche of Brazilians playing football at the beach. That's true. You know, they're doing it all the, all the time. I mean, it's a huge, it's the national, as it is in Germany, it's the only sport anybody here really cares about. And it's what they do all the time. And it doesn't even matter, you know, you're in Manaus and it's boiling hot and it's incredibly humid and people are still playing football, you know. It's the same down in the south where it's cold. People are doing that all the time. So Brazil just produces this talent, but unfortunately for them, the world has kind of got to the point where the top international teams, and we can say that Germany are, are, are probably the top international team now, are just have moved a step ahead. They've evolved a step beyond what is possible to do when you get a collection of outrageously talented players and you throw them together and you say, okay, guys, you know, let's go out there, you know, Forza, you know, let's beat our chest a little bit, shed a few tears, belt out the anthem, and let's go out there and take these guys apart. It turns out that if you're up against a team that's just that level, little level beyond, that just understands a little bit more what the team itself is about, it's going to be very difficult for you to compete. And, and Brazil has to recognize that now. It's not, they can't, if, if they continue doing things that the, way that the way that they always have done, they're not going to win the World Cup again. I've got to say, and I know uh, th these broader questions are really interesting, but I'm most interested in the effect on the Brazilian players, these human beings who are out there. And I know Murph said he doesn't have a huge amount of sympathy. Of course, they spectacularly underperformed. They got so many things wrong. But you do worry. I, I'm sure that, financially they're not in the sort of situations that those Brazil players in the 1950s were in and they, they're they not going to be impacted in that way. These guys are wealthy financially for life. But I'd worry for guys like Fred, I, I don't know how mentally strong they are. Some of them will be fine, I'm sure, and will go on and they'll all go back playing club football. But at least one or two might really struggle. Uh, uh, these, are, these guys are going to be pointed and laughed at and maybe jeered yeah. for a number of years and some of them for the rest of their lives. We all saw Portland over already with Fred. Yeah, forever. Did, they, did you get that? I don't know if you saw them in the mix zone or anything afterwards or, or the press conference. Did you, did you get a sense that these guys know what they're in for? I was in the uh, press conference and not the mix zone, and you can't do both. So unfortunately, I didn't get to see them in, in the mix zone, although apparently a lot of them did stop to talk. Um, you know, Fernandinho, one of the worst players in the field, stopped and even spoke in English to English journalists. Um, 
you know, and, and, and I guess they're, they're pretty stunned, but I think that the true um, situation which they find themselves in will only become apparent. I mean, I think Fernando, Fernandinho can probably forget about playing for Brazil again. Fred, I mean, this is the, this is the guy who, I mean, what, ha- what I saw happening to him last night, I've never seen happen to a player before. Consider that Fred is from Belo Horizonte. Fred is, a, is from the city in which this game takes place. Um, and he played first, I think, for Cruzeiro, the team that plays in the, in the Minerao, the stadium where this is happening. So he's on, this is his home turf. And Fred has been this figure of, of this divisive figure ever since, you know, it turned out that, okay, he wasn't going to be in the same form as in the Confederations Cup. He hasn't been scoring goals. He scored just the one somewhat fluky goal. You know, he, he's been ineffective throughout the games and getting more ineffective as it goes on. Last night in the second half, Fred had a shot. It was one of these, Brazil kind of came out with a flurry after halftime and Neuer actually made some great saves. I mean, Brazil might have scored very quickly after halftime a number of times. Neuer kept them out. There was a moment when the ball came to Fred. He had a shot from about 20 yards and it rolled really weakly to Neuer and the place exploded exploded with derision against this one player, this one, this local boy, uh, this one player, and everybody knew what was going on. And then this, uh, this chant that they'd started to sing in the second half, which I'd only heard before in, in Sao Paulo during the first game, uh, which is, uh, hey, Dilma, vai tomar na coup, which means take it up the arse to the president. Um, that's, that's their abusive, that's the abusive, that's what they want to, that's what they're saying when they want to tell you where to, I mean, it's just, a, it's just the way that Brazilians say, you know, what we, we say it in a different way. I mean, you could hear them outside the stadium telling the Germans to stick their sauerkraut where the sun don't shine. Um, so it's just, it's just a general purpose insult for when you really want to, and this, and so they then adapted that word. It became, hey, Fredgy. And so the whole stadium is chanting this at their own player. The team is 5-0 down, and they're picking out one of their own guys to abuse and to vilify. He was taken off in the aftermath, I think, of this 6-0, and the whole place was booing, booing him coming off. And then when Fred appeared again on the big screen, sitting on the bench, you know, this shattered man, they started booing him again. So it was just just this this relentless onslaught against the player. The moment at at the very end... Oh, my God. Um, the Brazilian players, I mean, they've lost 7-1. They're standing in the center circle, and it seems to be kind of a conference going on. It's, uh, what are we going to do now? They turn to try and applaud. It wasn't a case of going up to the stand to sort of applaud. They, tr- they turned around and sort of started to applaud the crowd, and the crowd just responded with, no, no. The, the, the crowd, let's say, let them know what they thought of them in no uncertain terms. There was no pity. There was no mercy. There was no forgiveness. These players, many of these players are finished. The most relieved men in Brazil last night were William, who didn't make the team. <laughs> Neymar, who was that life-saving injury, the career-saving injury that, that brought him low. Thiago Silva's yellow card. Thank God for that. I mean, they're all giving personal thanks to their own uh, private savior for uh, for liberating them, from, from, for sparing them, having to go down with all the others. But for many of those players, uh, I, I, I think, you know, that, that's it for them. That's it for them in Brazilian football. And as for Fred, I mean, the guy, the guy still plays here. At least Fernandinho can go back to Manchester City. Whereas what's Fred's get-out going to be? It's not like people in Europe are going to try and sign him. Actually, I spoke to, to uh, Jonathan Wilson at the game last night. He said, well, you know, maybe a smart club... You know, Sunderland, for instance, he has a Sunderland fan. He said they, they should maybe just buy Fred now because, he, you know, <laughs> you get the guy cheap. He obviously isn't as bad as, as he's showed. It might be a kind of the shrewd, a shrewd signing for a European club. But for him to stay in Brazil, what a, what a misery. I can't, 
I feel so sorry for him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just on Scolari there, you said that um, you were at the press conference. Now, I'm looking at some of the headlines today. Paul Kelso's tweeting one here from OD. I says, go to hell, Feli Pau, uh, and his others along those lines. This is the, so, I, I don't know if Vunkler is the right word, but certainly this was a guy who was thought of very fondly in Brazil. And I don't know how he's thought of now. What, how did he handle himself in that press conference? He actually handled himself very well, although I have to say that this press conference was not as confrontational as I would have expected. Uh, Most of the questions were actually asked by English journalists, as is frequently the case at these World Cup press conferences, rather than uh, what I would have expected, which was angry Brazilians demanding to know what had gone wrong. Now, there certainly wasn't any of the Nigerian-style questioning uh, that we had heard earlier in the tournament. And, and Scolari was calm. Scolari, you know, was, was gracious. He said, look, it's, it's my fault. I'm the coach. I accept responsibility. I make all the decisions, and therefore the responsibility is mine. Um, and sort of pleaded for the case for his players to an extent. Sometimes these things happen in football. You know, the, don't vilify these players. A lot of them, they're good players. They're going to be back in, in 2018 for the next World Cup. But... I think it's going to change. I mean, he said something which which took me by surprise, which was, "Don't forget, there's another game on Saturday." And I thought, "Oh my God, they've got to play another game." Oh, maybe against Argentina, the third place playoff. Maybe against Argentina. Oh well, maybe in a way, Argentina will be the best opponent because at least if they could play Argentina and give them a bit of a thrashing, there might be some element of redemption. Although, of course, you know, he wouldn't back them to beat um, their own shadows at the moment. So. <laughs> Um, it's just a nightmare to have to play this game. But I think what's going to happen now is as the Brazilian media, which was all reeling last night, like everybody else, has time to collect its thoughts and to think, hmm, what really happened there? There's obviously some, you know, I mean, Fred obviously deserves a lot of blame, but does he deserve all the blame? There's a lot of blame to go around and some people are going to get blamed. And as they have time to start thinking about who's responsible and who needs to go down over this. Things are going to turn a lot nastier than they were last night. And then we might see, oh, Philip Howe, some of his old com- uh, combative tendencies coming back to the fore. <laughs> we won't see so much of this gracious uh, yeah. man sort of accepting responsibility. And there might be a little bit more, more of shouting and finger pointing. Um, I think it's going to get pretty ugly over the next few days. You were, well, you wanted to get a uh, perspective of uh, an Irish journalist from the Irish Times, Tom Hennigan, who's been living there for a long time. Yeah, uh, I spoke to, basically this is in Belo Horizonte, this is in the sort of city centre after we had got out of the crush of the stadium, so if you hear a few cars and so on, you might even hear the sound of all the boozing that was going on in, in Belo Horizonte, because you know the way the the, the typical um, report after such an event might be, a hush fell over Belo Horizonte last night as uh, reading grief-stricken nations struggle to come to terms with uh, historic humiliation. Uh, there was none of that. There was just loads of people getting really drunk and falling over. Um, yeah, <laughs> actually, it didn't look... I mean, I, I thought to myself, hmm, I remember being in Munich uh, in 2012 when, when Chelsea won the Champions League final in, in Munich against Bayern. David Luiz was involved in that game. And a few of the players, a few of the German players last night, David Luiz had a much better game on that occasion than he did. And I remember getting into town after that match and to find the town had com- been completely shut down. So those the Germans are saying, yes, Chelsea fans, congratulations on your win, but uh, we're not going to provide anywhere for you to toast that victory. I'm sorry, the city's just going to shut down now. And it, and it literally was a, just the, the darkness had descended on Munich. Not the case at all in Belo Horizonte. Um, you know, people seem to... So if there is a little bit of background noise here, um, that, that would explain it. 
Tom, it's pretty much the most incredible thing I think I've ever seen in a football field. How do you think your uh, adopted um, compatriots will be uh, feeling that one tonight? Uh, I don't think they'll be feeling anything. I think they'll just be absolutely stunned. Um, it's just so far out of any kind of historical experience, um, anything they can relate to. Brazil loses uh, in football. You know, they've, they've lost a final. Um, they've been knocked out of quarterfinals. They've had some dramatic exits in tournaments, but nothing like that, you know, nothing uh, at all. And to lose at home in a World Cup, uh, in a semi-final, in what was a humiliating manner. Like, there's no way of dressing it up. It was absolutely humiliating. It was, it was just, I, I felt it was quite sad to see. It was, uh, it was sad. But, I mean, what do you think happened there? Because it's something really freakish happened out there in the field tonight, which I think we're all kind of still struggling to understand what it was. But what, are, what are your initial thoughts? It's so hard to know. It's, it's such a freak event um, that obviously there will be immediate, uh, you know, reasons offered for what happened. I think I think it's almost impossible to to know which is correct and which is not um, as a as a reason for what happened. It's just so bizarre in terms of Brazil's football history to say that Filipão picked the wrong squad. Yep, I think that is correct. Uh, that he was playing the wrong players within the 23-man um, squad he had. Yep, I think that's correct. Uh, did they miss Thiago Silva? Yep, they did. Did the whole Neymar injury thing get inside their head somehow? It's possible. Was the whole pressure of trying to win a World Cup in a country where there was huge expectation? Uh, all, of the, all of those things. Uh, the Germans afterwards talked about the mental fragility of their Brazilians and they said that they knew, they could sense immediately that they weren't right uh, that, they, that they were nervous uh, Kroos talked about the load that they had on their shoulders being more than, more than what we had um, and it did seem to be the case that all throughout the tournament the emotional pitch was just a little bit too high for, uh, for Brazil Yeah, I, I, I think it's obvious, you know, we saw in the, the Chile game that there was um, a fragility there, the, the tears of, of several of the players before, during and after the game, a lot of the debate about it afterwards. Um, the way they responded to Neymar was, I think, way too emotional. These are 22 highly paid professional footballers um, and it was a, a mawkish response at times to, to Neymar being out. But It was like he was dead. It was like he had died, exactly, you know, and holding up his shirt during the national anthem and arriving at the game in, in, in Forza Neymar uh, baseball hats. Like the whole thing was just, it was, the whole campaign in a certain way, this is lapsing into cliche, but it was turned into a Brazilian soap opera, you know, as opposed to a football campaign. And it was just the wrong way to go about it. And the thing about it in the Confederations Cup was that uh, Philippeau had a very business-like approach to the tournament and the, and the players like around the, the squad there were these protests there was all sorts of confusion and um, all of that going on but the actual uh, squad itself was very professional and business like in its approach this time it wasn't and the question is why was it the pressure of, of a World Cup in Brazil or was it that somehow 
as the tournament got underway, they realised, you know, we we peaked a year too soon, and they put pressure on them on themselves. I don't know, but you know, something has gone deeply wrong. Like seven one, just is a freak result, but a a football country like Brazil playing at home should never have that happen to them. I was uh, intrigued by the behaviour of the crowd throughout the game. I mean, first of all, um, there was there was obviously the, the kind of ferocity of the of the beginning. And then the goal went in and things started to go a bit quiet. Um, and then uh, there was people leaving after the, the fourth and fifth goals went in. And then that stopped. And they, actually most of the crowd was still there at the end. But the way that the crowd behaved throughout the second half, I, I thought was, was quite interesting. They sort of supported the team for 10 minutes and then started to find other things to, uh, to kind of chant about. And the way that they turned on Fred, I was quite surprised by. Yeah, I think they were, they were so... Um confused by what they were seeing that they didn't know how to react they just didn't know what to do um, and at one stage they were um, applauding the German team which I think was also a way of trying to shame their own players um, that's, that's how you would see that not, rather, than, rather than purely a sincere gesture of appreciation that there was a, a double edge to that definitely Definitely, I don't think that you know Brazilians. Um, I've seen that in football in club games here, and it's it's really a way of um, humiliating your own team. Um, and they had been booing the team beforehand. It was it was part of a package of attacking the players. The treatment of Fred, I thought, was harsh. Like you know, Fred has had a terrible tournament, but this was a player that no one questioned being in the squad when it was announced. No one questioned Fred's place. Uh, he was one of the heroes of the Confederations Cup. So, you know, now it's, it's very easy to have hindsight, um, but that's, you know, denied Philippe uh, when he's naming his squad. And he was perhaps too loyal to Fred, but, um, you know, I have a lot of respect for Fred as a, as a player and the type of person, the way he conducts himself in Brazilian football, which is a bit of a snake pit, and, and Fred is quite an honourable character. So that was very sad in front of his home crowd. I felt sorry for him. Um, I mean, and one thing that, that Yogi Love said after the game was that we know how Brazil feels because we lost also a semi-final of a World Cup at home. We lost in 119 minutes to Italy, so we know how they feel. But I remember that uh, game, and it was a very, very different type of atmosphere from what we saw tonight. The German players were applauded uh, by all the corners of the ground, the Westfalenstadt. They did a lap of honour at the Westfalenstadion. Everyone was crying and talking about how you know great they were. They went to the third, fourth place playoff, and this huge crowd turned up at the train station just to, to you know, to, to welcome them uh, to where the, to the venue. I get the feeling things are going to be quite different for the Brazilian team, judging by the way in which the crowd spurned the attempt of the team to. You know, to, to sort of applaud, uh, you know, to applaud them at the end. They just tell them where really where to go. Yeah, you know, the difference is that Germany team was at the beginning of a cycle, and uh, the expectations weren't huge going into it, into the tournament. They managed to drag Italy to extra time, and um, it was a valiant effort at the end of, of a surprisingly positive campaign. That's where Brazil came into this as favourites, not just in Brazil. Um, you know, the bookies at home had Brazil the favourites as well. Um, the campaign never really got going. Uh, there was a lot of distractions and um, emotional turmoil around it. And then it ended in complete collapse. There's no other word for it. It wasn't a valiant 
going down, raging against the dying of the light. This was just a complete implosion, a collapse. There was nothing honourable um, about it at all. There was nothing for the crowd to applaud at the end. I even felt that when Brazil in the second half tried to chase the game, there was something half-hearted about it, as if they were just going through the motions, that they you know, wanted to be anywhere else but there, which is understandable. So... I think I think Lowe has been very polite when he said that. Yeah. Just finally, Tom, I know I speak to some uh, people like yourself who are foreigners who've lived in Brazil for a while, and they uh, there's a common theme that they all say that after a while, try as you might at the beginning, it's difficult to take much pleasure in the achievements of the Brazilian team, uh, and sometimes foreigners find themselves mm, taking a certain amount of satisfaction when Brazil lives. Well, what were your feelings watching that then tonight? I'm in the minority amongst my gringo friends in that I'm still loyal to, to Brazil when it comes to international football. Um, you know, I wrote about this just before the tournament. One of the, the first ways I kind of got to know Brazil and um, began to fall in love with the place was through the national team, and I've never really lost that. I know what other people are saying. There's an awful lot of you know fellow travellers and tourists who... Um, just jump on the bandwagon every four years hoping for glory that aren't really football fans or anything but there's an awful lot of genuine football fans in Brazil who might feel very alienated from the national team but still have a lot of respect for the players and and for the shirt and what it, what it represented in the past and um, you know I, I know that there'll be a lot of people who will be absolutely devastated by, by what has happened and not devastated because this is humiliating for Brazil as a country just because this is a, a proud footballing culture and and you know it's been turned into a bit of a marketing pony for Nike in, in recent years but um, it is a country that has given so much to international football and um, so much joy like there was a reason why it became so many people's second team around the world and to have a night like that is is just absolutely humiliating I really feel for the players and, and feel for feel for their genuine fans Wow Ken sounds like Tom is feeling pretty feeling pretty bad as he felt a connection to that Brazilian team well, how could you not? I mean, it's I. I, I mean, I, I kind of felt the same way because you know they wanted it so much, they wanted it so badly, and you know there was it was like this epic sort of roller coaster ride everyone has has been on, which ends in the most horrible way. I mean, it, it, just a way in which nobody, nobody, ever even considered might happen to be exposed, to be humiliated, trounced. I mean, the newspapers that you mentioned, the, the newspaper from Brazil, you're looking at them, you can go to a, a, a website on called museum.org. That's N-E-W-S-E-U-M.org. And you can have a look if you want at all, of, at all of the front pages from today, not just from Brazil, but from all of South America. And obviously everybody's got the same thing. You learn a lot of... Uh, uh, words in Portuguese and Spanish, you know, uh, vergognazzo, uh, vergogna, uh, humiliado, humiliazzo, uh, massacre, that's a pretty easy one to recognize, jogo malito, odio y muerte. I think that's um, shame and death, or <laughs> vileness, <laughs> vileness and death. I mean, this is, let's say it's a pretty big story over here. Um, the Brazilians uh, reading uh, all the rest of South America uh, almost equally stunned, uh, but also laughing really, really loud at uh, that the, the local continental bully boys uh, being stripped down and slapped around and um, and and you know just humiliated in the, in the most thorough possible way. 
I mean, you know, where can you even find the words for it? There's, there's, there's only about five words in Portuguese that do justice. Uh, fechame, there's another one. Um, yeah, I mean, you can learn some, some pretty, um, some, some Portuguese words uh, which, which uh, express those feelings of shame, disgrace, uh, humiliation, odium, uh, and, uh, and generally things in that sort of uh, sector of the emotional range. Speaking of bully boys, Ken, just sit back there. I'm going to read you a quote from, a couple of quotes here from Martin Di Michaelis of Argentina, ahead of their game tonight, talking about Robin. He doesn't like physical contact. You have to make him feel it. You have to get under his skin. We have to be aggressive to make the Dutch feel the passion of the Argentine player, especially to Robin. He's a phenomenon, and it's impossible to know which way he's going to go next but he's not a fighter, said the Man City defender. Therefore, you've got to attack him because the more you stand off, the nearer to the goal you take him and the less margin for error you have. I mean, this is, this is even more clunkily signposted, this approach, than Brazil's against Colombia was in the quarterfinals. Yeah, um, I mean, Dimitrios, I think, is a former teammate of Robbins as well from Bayern. So uh, I don't know how, how um, fondly they regard each other. Uh, I mean, the problem with Robin is that if you do dive in, he, he's able to skip past you. Uh, he's also, I mean, we've seen him win it. Was it, was it just one penalty he's won? Uh, it's certainly won the one against Mexico. Mexico. Um, did he win one against Spain as well? I can't quite remember. But he, uh, you know, he's adept at winning fouls. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, and he's a, he's a player who's, who's good at, if you do make the contact, he's good at showing that contact. Um, so it might be a risky approach for the Argentinians, you know, in terms of uh, do you want to get a, a red card? Um, uh, which, which I don't think they do. I mean, Argentina with 10 players against the Blue Van Gaal team I think might have some problems. I mean, to be honest, I've, I've barely thought about this game. <laughs> uh, if, you know, just because last night was, was kind of so much to take in. Um, I, I wonder if, if Holland might have a better chance of beating Germany in the final than, than Argentina would, purely, purely because, as, as Gabriela was saying earlier, that, that kind of Van Gaal factor where he may be able to come up with with something to counter their strengths. I mean, we, Argentina played Germany in the last World Cup and we're, we're totally destroyed. I don't think they're going to try a similar type of system against them. But you wonder, is Messi going to be enough? Is, 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 is the, the fact that he's the best player by far on either side, would that ultimately be enough? Are Argentina a good enough team? I don't know. Um, maybe we won't bother talking about that until we know which one, of, uh, which one of these two teams is actually going to be in that final. Give me a prediction, Ken, even though you haven't thought about it yet. Very quickly. I'll go with Messi. Messi, Messi to win. All right, listen, we leave it there. Absolutely stunning stuff. And I said it was incredible to witness in Belo Horizonte last night. Ken, thanks very much for talking to us. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks for listening. We will have two shows out for you tomorrow, Thursday. So we'll be talking about uh, whatever happens in that game tonight. We'll be looking ahead to the World Cup final and the weekend's GA. Loads of good stuff going on. Have a listen to that all the usual ways. And we'll talk to you then. Take care. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.